Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hey, well, everybody, back again, and uh, we're going to have a real good time this morning. Uh, We're in our second message now in our series, uh, Cultural Quicksand. But before I get into this, I want to share with you something that I encourage you all to watch, because I was turned on to it by uh, our operations pastor, Pastor Charlie Bacar, and I I let people know last Sunday night on the outdoor service to watch this. Uh, There is a a documentary that's uh, now on Netflix. It might be on other type stations. Uh, It's called The Social Dilemma. Let me tell you, you need to watch this. Let me tell you a little bit about it. These are the people who are the architects of much of the social media of today. These are the ones. They're not Christians, but they're the ones who built the machines of social media. And they made this documentary to warn us. Pay close attention when you watch it to what's happening to our teenage girls in America because of social media. Pay close attention to what they say about how social media has polarized a nation against itself, where we can't even talk to each other if we're at different party lines. Pay close attention when they ask what the ultimate end of all this is through social media, and one of them says, civil war. Pay close attention. Pay close attention when they tell you that they don't even let their children on social media because they know the dangers of it. And when the kids get old enough to be on it, they limit them to X amount of time, and that's it. And that's it. I encourage you to watch it because it might just open your eyes to see that we're just being played. See, social media is like a car. A car is good if you use it for good, but it's bad if you use it for bad. And so watch it and see. Watch it and see. But I would encourage anyone to watch that. Now today, I think today's message in this series is probably going to be my most sensitive message. It's the one that will rub some of you probably the wrong way. I don't take these things lightly. I try to be as sensitive as I can. We're going to talk about the victim or victorious culture. Now, I began last week by looking at Daniel and how Daniel as uh, went to Babylon, they re-educated the young people. We see that in history. They redefined language. We're seeing that now where they take words, the words don't mean anything anymore. It's a limitless amount of uh, meaning to words, and it's on shaky ground at best. And then what they do, they change his identity. And they're trying to edit God out of his life, and they give him the name of a false god, or the name in there of a false god. And we see that today where they're trying to eliminate Yahweh God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, out of our lives. And now everything's open to interpretation and redefinition. But what I'm venturing to do in this series is to give you a biblical world view. Now, I said it last week, I'll say it this week, I'll probably say it a few more times in this series. If you're a follower of Christ and you don't agree with what I'm saying or parts of it, okay, that's okay, I still love you, you can love me, we're grown-ups. But if you really disagree, please give me the scriptures. Send them to me, do something, or drop them off and I'll study them. But I've studied these things out. If you're not a follower of Christ and you are watching this somewhere, someplace, you know, you may not agree with any of it. Um, that, that's okay, I'm okay. You can still watch church service. You can even come to church here as we open up here pretty soon. We, we can get along. I'm mature. I, you can disagree with me, I can disagree with you, and I'll still respect you. That's what mature people do. And that's okay. But all I'm trying to do is attempt to give a biblical worldview. And like I said, this will be the most sensitive topic I choose. But I believe very strongly in my heart that your children... 
and your grandchildren, and should the Lord tarry, your great-grandchildren. This is an important topic because you are a key figure in the family. And your attitude and your mentality and your approach to life is vital for their success. And I believe you want them successful, and I want them successful. We want to see our kids and our grandkids very successful in life. Now, before we get into this message, I want to get into our key verses for the series is found in Matthew 7, 24, 25, 26, 27. Let me read it, quickly state it again, then we'll, we'll head on. Jesus speaking says this, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What's Jesus saying? He's saying there are two ways to build your life. You can build it on the Word of God, you hear it, but then you must act on it. You must live this out. And when you do, your life is built on solid rock foundation of Jesus that no matter what happens, no matter if persecution comes, tribulation, or the insanity of many things that we see these days, you won't be shaken. Because your foundation is built on biblical doctrine, not winds of thought. And that's where you want to be, my friends. I encourage you to pursue truth of God's word and grow in this. But he says if you just listen to it, this is for Christians too, if you just listen to it and you don't act on it, but you live with the latest wind of thought or your emotions or whatever you're led by, and when things happen, you're going to be blown all over the place. You will not be stable spiritually, and you surely will not be stable emotionally. And some of you out there know your emotions get the best of you. Mm -mm. You need to be led by the Word of God, by Jesus Christ, by the Spirit. So, we've reduced those four verses into a statement, and that is this. Foundations form futures. And I think that statement is so vital in this particular message that we build on the right foundations, the right thinking processes for greater futures for us, for our children, for our grandchildren. We want to teach our kids well. You know, that's my saying in this series because I was going to call it teach your children well, but I thought, no, I'm going to go with, with the first thought. I just got to say something from the get-go. I, I mean, I'm on social media. I put a, a lot of things out there teaching-wise, I try not to overdo it. But I see some things that Christians, and I'll pick on Christians, post out there. And sometimes I read it and I'm thinking, that's nothing but secular humanism. See, humanism is man's, man thinks he can solve the problems. And I read it, I go, that's secular humanism with a lot of emotion, and they dot it with God in there. And I'm thinking, please don't, I'm thinking, please don't write those things. Because that's not biblical at all. It's a lot of emotion, purely secular humanism. You try to throw God in there, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, you know, the, the, the motivation of my life is the truth of the Word of God. I try my best to keep studying it, memorizing it, living it, preaching it. It's what, what's, what I live for. Ask my wife. I love this Word of God. It keeps me stable in the midst of instability. It gives me a proper godly worldview in the midst of a cultural worldview that's all over the place. So please, today, just listen to me. Listen to me. Just please. Now, I want you to turn, if you have your Bible, your app, whatever it is, Numbers 11. We're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament of the, of, the, of the Israelites. They've come out of bondage in Egypt. They've been out probably a couple years now, I believe. And verses 1 through 6 says this. Watch what happens, and I'll explain it after I read it. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. See, God 
hears when we just grumble and complain. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. It's getting bad. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Tabra, which means burning. Because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble who were among them, and in case you want to find out who that is, Exodus 12, 38, it's the mixed multitude that just came with them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? And now watch what they said. This is crazy. We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Okay, let's break this down. They've been out of Egypt for a little while, and now they come to Moses, and they are going to complain. We know the reoccurring theme is, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to die? That's an extreme statement, is it not? But we're watching a culture that's filled with extreme statements everywhere. And now they start talking about how great it was back in Egypt. In fact, they say, we used to eat free. Really? Egypt was a buffet, a free buffet every day? No. Uh Uh-uh. It's crazy how our minds play tricks with us. No, they worked 24-7 for 400 years. They didn't get any time off. And now they're saying it was so great back there? What is the problem? There's multiple problems, but I'm going to give you two answers to the question, what is the problem? The first answer is this. They don't know what to do with freedom. They they had been in there for so long, they don't know what to do with freedom. And they need a mental breakthrough like many people do. We need to have our minds transformed because they're still stuck in old ways of thinking. The second thing is this, and here's where I want to really drill down on. Here's the second problem. They are, at this moment in time, comparing what they currently have with what they expected to have. Let me say it again. They are comparing what they currently have with what they expected to have. Let me say it again. They are comparing what they currently have with what they expected to have. We all do that. Every one of us has done that from time to time. But let me tell you the important thing on this, and that's this. It's what we do when we're in those seasons of time. It's what we do in that time, whether we're going to live out a victim lifestyle or a victorious lifestyle. They are comparing what they currently have with what they expected to have. And when you get there, you can play the victim or you can say, you know what? I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to walk in victory. That's their choice. That's our choice. That's everyone's choice. And so a big question you could ask from this text right here is this. Is it honorable to go around complaining when life is difficult? And the survey says, no. Now, let me balance everything out before you think, okay, Jim, wait a minute. No, look, I get it. The truth is, every one of us has been sinned against. Every one of us has. There's not a person on the planet hadn't been sinned against. Therefore, every one of us has been victimized in some way. It's a fact. Every one of us has. Some more severe than others. I, I get that. But how do you want to teach your kids to handle that? What do you want them to know? What do you want them to understand? Do you want, I don't want my kids to play the victim. I want them to be victorious through whatever comes their way. I want my grandkids to think that way. 
This is a very important message. Now watch this in 1 Corinthians 10, 5, and then 10 and 11. This is, this is a description of what happened in the Old Testament and how it affected them when they were traveling through the desert to the promised land. Watch. Verse 5 says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. God wasn't happy with them, all these people over here. Now watch. Here's some of the symptoms. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Then he says, now these things happened to them as an example for who? For us. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. What did he just say? He says, look, let me put it all together because I didn't read the whole thing. Listen, they, some didn't make it to the promised land. They were not successful in life because they grumbled and complained. And because they did, they were destroyed. It was self-destructive. And, and Paul says these, these things are written for, for an example for us to give us instruction. This is not how you want to do it. <clears throat> now, I got three points today, and then I'm going to bring a lot of illustration at the end. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sociologist, but I read articles, and I've been studying my Bible for 41 years, and I've listened to a lot of great scholars over my 41 years, listening to them and, be, and being taught by them. Now, <clears throat> I've read articles on victim mentality and I, uh, over the years, and uh, you know, I write notes down. I do all kinds of things. But let me give you three things of what these people say about a victim mentality. They're not good. There's many more, but I, I just picked three of them, okay? And then I'm going to bring Bible, and I'm going to come home with this thing. Now listen, please listen. Because your, your descendants are banking on this one. They need to learn right. Teach your children well. Number one, victim mentality ends respectful dialogue. What is that? What, listen, listen. You see, if I, if I say anything in disagreement to someone with a victim mentality, they're just going to say, oh, you're a hater. You're just a hater. You see, here's what's going on right now. If I'm a victim, well, I, everything I say is in love. But if you disagree with me, you, oh, you're a hater. And we see that all the time. It ends respectful dialogue. <clears throat> Therefore, all disagreements... They end in hatred, it's disrespectful, it, it doesn't end good. It ends free speech, it ends dialogue, it ends all those things. It's cultural quicksand because I just I have to be a hater because I don't agree with you. Be honest, you know that's true, you see it yourself. We've got to teach our kids the right way, that's not the right way. The second thing is this, a victim mentality divides the world into us versus them. Let me tell you about a society. The measure of a civil society is not forcing everyone to agree on the same thing. That's impossible. If you're married, you can't even agree with your spouse on everything. And you want to make all of society agree? That's impossible. You know, Jesus, he wasn't into forcing truth on people. When Peter sliced off the guy's ear, Jesus said, put your sword away, we're not into that. When Pilate said, so you're a king, Jesus said, oh, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, we're not coming to force anything here. You cannot force truth. That is not a Jesus or God way at all. You see, the measure of a great society, the measure of a great family, the measure of a great marriage, the measure of a great person, the measure of a great friend is simply this. We can disagree and still respect and love each other. That's greatness. That's a healthy society. That's a healthy person. Let me, let me, um, let me illustrate. You know, some of you, have had friends break up or even tragically, sadly, divorce. And some of you have even gone up to one that's your close friend of the two and you ask them what happened <laughs> and they say, well, I, you know, I was married to the son of Satan or you know, the daughter of the devil or whatever it is, you know. 
But you know with some of those people who make harsh statements against their ex-spouse and ugly, ugly statements, some of those people, you better not ask, what was your role in the breakup? Oh, no, don't ask them that because they get angry. Why? Because they want you to take their side, us versus them. See, a victim mentality, they want everyone to take their side. It divides people. It ends free speech. Let me go deeper. I didn't come up with this. I just read articles. Sociologically. Psychologically. Society divides itself into victim groups. Society divides itself into victim groups. And don't you dare say anything about my victim group. And if you're in my victim group, you better agree with everything. Because the moment you disagree with anything, you're out. You know who understands that? All politicians. Oh, yeah, the other side. No, no, your side too. They all know it. They all understand it and they all play to it. They know the victim groups, and they're going to play to the victim groups. That's how they get votes. Just watch. That's what happens. And then the divide gets wider and wider and wider. Truth becomes irrelevant. <sighs> you know, you can never tell a victim, you know, what was done to you was wrong. But the way you're responding is wrong also. You can never tell a victim mentality that, oh, they just blow. But that's not the way you want your kids to grow up. That's not the way you want your family to think. The third thing is this. Victim mentality is a mentality of powerlessness. It's a mentality of powerlessness. Now, see, a victim mentality, it creates dependency and erodes capacity. Let me say it again. It creates dependency and erodes capacity. And that's true. What are you talking about, preacher? <clears throat> you see, it makes you powerless. Because what you're really saying is, it's everyone else's responsibility to fix my situation. And if you don't do that, then you're even part of the problem because you won't fix my situation. You better make sure you agree with me. <clears throat> now, I'm going to enter into something I talked about at the end of the last series. I told you I was going to share it two more times. This is the first of two times. And what happens is this. A desire for justice is motivated by hate, anger, bitterness, you name it. And that's a problem. Here's the verse again. Amos 6.12, and it says this. Do horses run on rocks? Or does one plow them with oxen? The answer is no, no, rhetorically no. Watch what he says now. Yet you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Wormwood is bitterness. Now notice, you've turned justice into poison and the fruit of that is just bitterness. What's he saying? He's saying this. If your motivation for justice is based on anger and bitterness, and hatred, and revenge, etc., etc., and you get justice, guess what you're left with? Anger, and hatred, and bitterness, and revenge, and guess what you got to do with that? You got to find something else to pour it out on. And now what you've done, and what I've done, if that's the case, is I've just weaponized my emotions. I've weaponized my emotions, which leads to a bigger problem for the born-again believer. I'm to be led by the Holy Spirit, not my emotions, not my anger, not my bitterness. I'm to be led by the Word of God, not what I feel, not what I think. It's what God says. You know, I'm going to speak more on this uh, particular issue right there. When I get to week four, and I talk about the offended, intolerant, angry culture. But suffice it to say, I have a choice. I have a choice. My kids have a choice. My grandkids are going to have a choice to be a victim or a victorious person. Now, let me show you something that I think is so tremendous. It's so true, and it's in the Bible. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says this. This is for you followers of Christ. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? That God can turn anything bad into good? If you follow Him, you love Him, do what's right, do you believe it? I do. That's a victory. That's victory. That's a victorious person. But watch the flip side. Let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 42, verse 36. And we're talking about Jacob here. And Jacob believes Joseph is dead. Simeon is now stuck back in Egypt. And they want to take little Benny with them back there to get Simeon out. And here's what the father Jacob says. Because a lot of stuff bad's happened to him. No doubt about it. Their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And you will take Benjamin? And then he says, All these things are against me. Whoa. The victim says, The world's against me. The follower of Christ says, God can take anything bad that's happened to me and turn it into good. I love God. I'm going to follow what he says and I'm going to watch God turn my life around. I'm going to put my hand to the plow. Do you see the difference? Teach your children well. Their success depends on that thing right there. You know, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said that some achieve great success is proof to all that others can achieve it as well. That some achieve great success is proof to all that others can achieve it as well. Okay. If you have a pen, take a note, put it down for a second. Just put it down. I'm going to talk to you uh, from my experience, from my heart, from things I've seen. Uh, I'm going to take about five minutes right now. I've told my story before. I told it on July 4th weekend. I'm going to share it again right now. I am first and foremost, I'm an American. I'm an American. My mom taught me, if anybody asks you what you are, say you're an American. My ethnicity, after that, I'm Mexican, Spanish, and Yaqui Indian from Sonora, Mexico also. My father came here when he was a baby, World War II veteran, wounded with shrapnel from a bomb in the Battle of the Bulge to give us our freedom here in America, to keep us free. He bled. So that red on that flag means a lot to me because that's my father's blood on that flag. My father, um, he had to quit school at a certain age in high school because um, he was the oldest and he had to help support the family. So he used to run picking crews, orange picking crews. Southern California used to be all oranges. Some of you remember that. Those were the days. Uh, used to smell so neat in the springtime. He ran the picking crews. Sometimes my dad would, before, when they were building uh, Angel Stadium, we would drive out there. He'd love to watch the stadium being built, you know, and he'd take me with him. I was about nine, ten years old, something like that. And, but he'd say, this whole area here, I used to run picking crews. My mother worked in the packing house where they'd bring the oranges and she'd pack them into the containers and they'd send them out to grocery stores. They didn't make a lot, but they lived right, they saved, and one day they went for their dream. They used their passion and they used their gifts. You all have gifts and you all have passion. You just got to figure it out and use it. And they went and they started this restaurant. And they were like overnight success. And the money began to roll in. And like I said a couple months ago, I'll say it again. I was 13, and now I was Mexican privilege. Because we had money. Then my parents, what'd they do? They didn't blow the money. They kept working hard, and they kept saving. And what'd they do? They bought properties. Wow, what a concept. That's how you succeed. That's how you get ahead. They were hard, hard-working people. So, in this world, this United States that is still the greatest country on the planet, yeah, it's got its problems, ain't no doubt about it. You know why? Because there's humans in it. But it's still the great land of opportunity. 
<clears throat> now, I, I shared about probably two years ago, maybe in a series. I don't remember how long it's been. But I, but I shared something like this. Who's going to be the first? See, who's going to be the first in your family to break through? Remember I said cycle breaker, cycle maker? Who's going to be the first one to change the course of that family? Oh, and, and if you don't, it's just going to be the generational curse, one after another after another. I don't think my parents understood what they were breaking through at the time, but they broke through it, and they showed us the way that hard work, doing the right thing, not overspending, saving, investing, it gets you places in life. Now, I have a personal belief. Well, there's a, let me state the fact first. Why do, four, why do four to five million people try to get into this country every year? Why? Because they see the opportunities in the land of opportunity. And my personal belief is some of us have been natives for too long. We need to remember what it was to be an immigrant, to come here and look like, wow, look what I can accomplish here. Now, you may not like that statement, but it's a true statement. Now, let me tell you a little bit more. Proverbs um, 18.16, it's not in your notes. It says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great kings. A man's gift. It opens doors. When I was 18, 19, and 20... I went to college, tried it three times, and flunked out three times. <laughs> Whose fault was that? Not the college's. It was mine. I chose not to apply myself. And then I became a Christian. And it set my head straight. And most of you know I can memorize a lot. My wife always tells me, how can you remember so many things? And I love taking tests. <laughs> and I applied myself. I went back to school, I applied myself. Aced everything. The only B I got was in public speaking. Can you believe that? I want to go find that teacher still. But see, once I took responsibility and used the gift that God gave me this ability to recollect, to look into things and see things in here. Once I started to use that gift and put a passion in there, and that's my wife, I'm passionate about it. The doors begin to open up. You see, your God is a God who opens doors that no one can close. Don't listen to the cultural rhetoric. You are a child of God. And He can turn bad into good if you love Him and obey Him and follow the right path. He can do it. Observations. You know I have a very wealthy friend up north. Filthy wealthy. He came from nothing. Nothing. I saw him work hard. He went to school, got his degree, worked for a couple years, then went back, got his master's in business, sacrificed, sacrificed, worked hard, worked hard. I saw him have setbacks. I saw him go through pain, but he kept working. I saw him go through this, but he kept working. And then in his late 50s, it all paid off, man. All the hard work, all the pain, all the tribulation. He kept putting his hand to the plow, and it all paid off. But he came from nothing. You know what he told me a couple years ago? He says, you don't know, Jim, but when we were teenagers, junior high, the reason I used to go over to your house and then our other friend's house, he goes, it's because your parents would feed me. I was hungry. We didn't have hardly anything. See, maybe we need to get hungry again. Maybe we need to get motivated again. 
to go after it. You know who the highest earners are in America? It's not white people. It's Asian people. Chinese, Japanese, from people from India. Highest earners. You know what they attribute that to? Very strong family structure that's very into education. What does that mean? What does that tell us? What's the evidence? The evidence is it starts in the family. It starts in the family. Okay. So, um, I had a real bad accident two weeks ago. I'll tell you all the details in week five. Promise. But suffice it to say, I was in the hospital two weeks ago on a Saturday night for five hours in the emergency. I'm fine now. But I'm in there, and I, obs I observe everything. I'm just that kind of person. And every bed, you know, there's curtains around it and stuff like that. And I started observing all the nurses and the doctors and all the people that were... I'm thinking... 75% of the people in these really good paying jobs are people of different ethnicities. And so I'm a just a real nosy body and I'd ask the doctor of this certain ethnicity and I'd ask the nurse of this other ethnicity because, and I, I said, did you always know you want to do this? This is what I ask everybody. And they go, yeah. I go, was it hard? Go, oh yeah, do you ever want to quit? Oh yeah, but I just kept going. I kept going. And now I got the job of my dreams. And I watched that and I'm thinking, what's true and what isn't true then? Look at all these people that got these great jobs of all these different ethnicities. Because they went after it and they worked hard and they sacrificed to become successful. They didn't play any victim. I took my dog to the vet, Max. And I had this young girl, she's probably, I guess, 30, somewhere in there. And I asked her, I go, did you always know you want to be a veterinarian? She goes, well, yeah. And then we got to talk. I go, oh, how did it happen? Because I always want to know. And she said, well, I'm Puerto Rican. And I'm, I was born in Puerto Rico. And from Puerto Rico, I decided I want to be a vet. So I put into schools in America. And I found one in Pomona. And I got student loans. I came here to America. And I put in the eight years of school in. And it was tough, but I finished and now I'm living the dream. I, I've got the dream job that I've always wanted. What? How's that, how's that happen? Hard work. It pays off. Passion. You're gifting. Utilize it. It's, it's for anyone. Anyone can experience these things. Are you following me? I'm trying to help you. Because if you get a victim mentality, then you're going to think that it's all hopeless. No, God has gifted you, and he's put a passion in you, and you've got to find what that gift is and put that passion into it and go after it. And then watch what God does. And live right and watch what God does. Now, before you think, Jim, you're getting way out there. Question, was Jesus victimized? You better believe it. And he was innocent. But he was victimized, worse than anyone's ever been victimized. What was his response? What was his response? Luke chapter 23, verse 34 says this. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. What did Jesus do with what we now call historical grievances? against the people who sinned against him. What did he do? He forgave. And then he said that he remembers them no more. <clears throat> Friends, that worldview right there is vital to your soul. It's vital to your success. It's just vital. I had this thought, and I wrote it down, and I scribbled it in my notes, and I'm just going to say it for whoever out there needs to hear it. 
What if we're looking at victim culture incorrectly, some of us? What if instead of looking at it like I've been victimized, what if instead we were honest with ourselves, some, some of us, and realize we're victimizing ourselves by keeping a victim mentality? Does that make sense at all? Because we can victimize ourselves with a victim mentality. What if we're looking at it wrong? Maybe that's the way we need to look at it. Now, I'm going to give you a very rough, painful illustration. But it, it, it really nails it. You take a rape victim. That's one of the worst victimizations there is. They go into therapy. The therapist will never tell them, well, you know, just get over it. Just pretend it didn't happen. That would be ridiculous. That would be the dumbest thing you could ever tell that person. To tell them like it just didn't matter, it didn't really happen. No. What does a therapist try to get that person, what place do they try to get them to? Listen, they try to get them to the place where they can say, I am not a victim. Why? Why must they get to that place? Because if they live life as a victim, they will always be chained to the past and their victimizer. But if they come to the place where they say, I am not a victim, therefore now they will not be defined by the past, but they will look forward and be empowered to live a future in their life. Did you hear what I said? That's why it's important to teach our kids, no, you're not a victim. You have opportunities, man. Take advantage. You have this gift, this gift, this gift. Go for it, buddy. <clears throat> They teach the rape victim not to hold on to historical grievances, not to play the victim, because it will shape wrong thinking. <sighs> teach your children the right ways. Their success depends on it. Let me give you my last thought. What's my favorite story? Prodigal sin. Question, who's the victim in the story? It's the father. Because the boy says to his dad, give me my inheritance. You know what that literally means? The idea of, you're dead to me, dad. I'll see you later. And he gets the inheritance and he's gone. Can you imagine the pain? The father? He's been victimized. Next question. Who in the story gives forgiveness? The father the one who's been victimized. I'm teaching you the Bible right now. The one who's been victimized, the one who's been wronged, is the one who gives forgiveness to the actual person who's wronged him. That's God. That's Jesus. That's what love does. That's the only correct way to live. That's, that's it right there. But you can go ahead and be bitter. You can be angry. You can live it out. Teach your kids that. Teach your grandkids that. Teach them all that. Teach them all that. See where it takes your soul and see where it takes your family. Or you can see us for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live this. Okay, back to the hospital. So I'm in there for five hours. And I'm in pain, there ain't no doubt about it. And Olivia can't come in there because it's, you know, the COVID time here. So I'm, I'm just in there. And uh, I'm a, you know, I felt, you know, I was a little bit in shock, I think, because of things. Uh, I won't get into it. So I got an option in there. I can feel really bad about everything. And so all the curtains were drawn on these beds, and there's a bed next to me, curtains drawn, and I, you know, I'm I'm a nosy body, so I can hear what they're saying to this person in the next bed who I've ne I never saw. But I heard that she was 25 years old and that she had a um, minor stroke. And I thought, oh my gosh. So when the doctors and nurses left, I said, um, 
hey, you okay over there? And she said, I'm feeling better. And I said, so you had a minor, they think you had a minor stroke? Yeah, maybe, they think. I asked her her name. She's talking to me, I go, and I always ask this when I hear it. I go, where's your accent from? Dominican Republic, I came here when I was 10. I said, can I pray for you? She said, yes. And so on the other side of the curtain, I prayed for her. When I was done, because you think, when I was done, she said, thank you. I'm a Christian and so is my family. Talked to her a little more and found out she works not far from here, but she just got finished her medical assistance degree. She went to school and worked a, a job and she put in for a job. That's her dream. And I thought, think of what's going on here. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I, I just can't be here just by coincidence and this and that. There's got to be a purpose for me in this hospital tonight. I could sit here in my pain. I could say, go, well, poor me. You know, that's why this happened to me. And I didn't. I said, you know, I'm here to help people. And I started to make jokes for all the nurses and doctors, too. That's just the way I am. In the midst of my pain. And I got to minister to her. But I also got to find out another thing. Here's an immigrant who went for it and got her degree for a dream job. And she had just applied for it. She had just finished school. Listen, you have pain, I have pain. We've all been victimized. But what's your higher purpose in life? To walk around victimized or to be victorious and to begin to minister? God's love to people. Because it's one or the other. Or you be like that girl, land of opportunity. Go for it, man. Go for it. Find your gift. Put your passion to it. Go for it. It's all there. It's all there for any of us. I have no idea what you thought of this message and I'm okay with that because before this series began here's what God popped into my heart Jim you're born again for such a time as this you have a small amount of people that you get to impact and you must impact them with the word of God have no fear and I really try never to walk in any fear whatsoever. And it's not me, it's God. Uh, my life is built on the solid rock. But I'm here for such a time as this, to minister to whoever will listen. But I've laid out for you the truth because I love you. I want your kids. I want your grandkids. I want your great-grandkids, if the Lord should tarry, to be successful, to be victorious, because the opportunities are there. But you gotta go after it. You gotta let go of anger, hate, bitterness, whatever you're carrying in your life. And you gotta go after it and live the biblical world view. <laughs> this we know, that my God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, I'm finished. I'm finished. And the way I want to finish this message is simple. I just want to pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for whatever it is inside of you right now. That God has a great thing for you. That God has a passion He's put inside you that connects to your gifts, your abilities. You put those th two things together and make God your focus, God's word, <laughs> it's, sky's the limit, buddy. Sky's the limit, young gal. 
It doesn't matter who you are. Because you've got God in your dugout. And he's gifted you, you who are created in the image of God. So don't let the culture, don't let the culture get you. You keep your biblical worldview. I'm going to pray for you right now. Let's pray. God, I just pray for whoever's watching me, whoever's listening. I know I hit some tough issues, but my goal is to set people free. My goal is to see people more successful in life and not get stuck. Because God loves everybody. And God has gifts and talents that he's placed in you that you can use. A man or a woman's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Proverbs 18, 16. You take that gift and you put it to work. And later on in Proverbs, it says, do you see a man or woman skilled in their work? They'll stand before great men. You get better and you get better and you're better at it because you keep working at it and what you're best at and watch the doors that open. And God opens doors that no man can close. That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for you. Let's teach our children well. Let's teach our children well. Cycle breaker, cycle maker. Let's create a new path in our families. Let's see a better tomorrow. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the king of our life and no one else. Thank you that our citizenship is in heaven, that we walk according to a different kingdom Thank you, Lord, that we understand these things and we can move in them and that you love us and we can love everybody. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.